We are studying the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I would like it if you would go ahead and get your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5. This is uh, where we're going to be taking our whole lesson from uh, today, and a little bit right before, I suppose. And you've got handout sheets that kind of are a little hard to read, I suspect. I had to go down to nine-point font uh, in order to get the entire uh, entirety of Mark chapter 5 on there. But I wanted it all, because I think Mark is telling us a story, and it's kind of dramatic. How many of you like Westerns? Does anybody else besides me like... I'm kind of a fan of Westerns, and I like the older Westerns, uh, High Noon and My Darling Clementine. Uh, a sheriff comes into a lawless situation, and his job, and sometimes it looks like it's impossible, sometimes he's a marshal, sometimes he's a sheriff, his job is to, is to bring law and order to a lawless situation. I've noticed something, the filmmakers will do something. When the sheriff first comes into a town that's just sort of been in the grip of crime and in the grip of, of chaos, who notices first? When the sheriff first, whose heads start turning? It's the bad guys. The ordinary citizens are a little bit oblivious for a little longer. But the bad guys, they start twitching for their guns. They start moving their rifles around. Somebody's up on the roof. I mean, the bad guys are the first people to catch on that something is changing. And I, and I mention that because if you've read Mark chapters 1 two, three, four, and now five, you've realized that a lot of the people in the story are kind of confused about who Jesus is. They kind of, I don't know, I don't know, what he, who can do stuff like that? And they're not sure, but who's really sure right away? You see, head snapping as soon as Jesus shows up, one particular group. The demons know. The demons know there is a new sheriff in town. I mean, that's really almost the picture that we have here. That somebody with power has come to our place. And our day of having our way with people, our day of causing evil and chaos and pain, may be coming to an end. They shout out, we know who you are. We know who you are. The demons know. I want to make a couple of points out of the fact of what Jesus is doing here. The miracles of Jesus are, of course, wonderful, and we love the stories that they tell. But the miracles of Jesus are more than just evidence for us. Of course, they serve as evidence. They got people interested. People would come. They want to hear what Jesus says because he can do these amazing things. Nicodemus comes at night to him in the Gospel of John saying, nobody, nobody can do signs like you're doing. Who are you? Who are you really? So, of course, the miracles serve as kind of an evidence for us. But there's obviously something else going on. There, there's, a, there's a direction, there's a theme to the miracles. The miracles are also signs. Yes, they serve as evidence, but they are also signs. What are they signs of? These signs 
point to God coming to be king over everything. Jesus comes into the world saying, the time is now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand just means it's right here. This is, it starts today. Jesus comes into the world to put God back on the throne. God is the rightful king. This world is a lawless town. It's a, it's a territory in chaos, in the grip of criminals. And Jesus comes to put God back in charge. To bring the rule of God. And, and all three of the stories that we have in Mark chapter 5 point to that reality. All the miracles point to that reality. What If God was back in charge of the world, what would the world be like? How would the world be different? If we, if we could get the, the evil out, if we could get the criminals out, if we could get those who are in rebellion against God out of the way, and God could truly rule so that His will could be done on earth as it is in heaven, what would the world be like? And Mark probably could launch into a long theological discussion of that, but instead he just tells you three stories of stuff Jesus did so that you can kind of draw the conclusion. He says there was this time. Jesus crossed the lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And he came to this place, and it's, it's actually in a Gentile uh, majority area, on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, and there is a truly troubled, destroyed human being living on the far side there. When they get out of the boat and they start walking, there is this guy who meets them who is out of his mind. He's out of his mind because the demons have their hooks in him. And the demons... As usual, they, they're the first ones to figure out who Jesus is. And they, they announce it. We know who you are. What are you doing here? Are you going to torment us? This man, they, these demons have torn his life apart. His, he's living out in the tombs. It's a place that the Jews considered unclean just by its nature living amongst the tombs. Right next door is an enormous hog operation. There are 2,000 pigs. Also unclean. This guy, everything about him screams uncleanness. He's naked. He's probably got shreds of chains hanging from his arms and his legs. People have tried to chain him up so he won't hurt himself. It says that he's been cutting himself with stones. I don't know about you, but what kind of... how? What do you have to do to cut yourself with a stone? I mean, stones aren't knives. You can, if you work at it, you can kind of, certain stones you can chip down to make a blade. But how do you cut yourself with stones? I think we need to imagine this guy just running full force and throwing himself into a pile of rocks. I think we need to imagine him picking up big rocks and just smashing them on his arm, smashing them on his head, smashing them into his chest. I think we should imagine him just a beaten pulp, and he's done this to himself because the demons are tormenting him. What is your name? Their name is Legion. 
because they are many. A a Roman legion at full strength has 6,000 people in it. I don't know if there were 6,000 demons. looks like there were about 2,000 based on the number of pig suicides we're going to have in just a minute. There are a lot of them. And Jesus sends them out into the pig. They say, we'd rather go into the pigs than what you're going to do to us when God's back in charge. And so he says, okay, it's not going to work. I don't know. We, we discussed this actually in our Bible class last week. I'm not sure if this is one of those times when Jesus kind of kills two birds with one stone. Pigs are unclean animals. you got demons. You know, let them all be destroyed together. But anyway, the pigs, once they're inhabited with these evil spirits, they commit suicide, mass suicide, just jump off the cliff and die. But when the people from the town come out, they see this guy, and he's sitting there in his right mind. He hasn't been in his right mind forever. You notice that when he shows up, his family's not there trying to take care of him. His friends aren't there trying to keep him from hurting himself. Nobody's there. But now here he is with his clothes back on in his right mind. Here's somebody who's had their life destroyed that Jesus has put their life back together. I think I've mentioned before, I don't trust people usually who claim to know a lot about what demons are or were or how they work. Because typically they go way beyond what's actually available for us in the text. The text just isn't very clear about the nature of what demons are or were. And so I will admit to you pretty freely that, you know, scrounging together the few bits of data that we have in Scripture, I think we have a really incomplete picture of what demons are. I don't think we know very clearly what they are. But I'll tell you something we do know. We all are familiar with what it's like to have evil Crush your life. Turn it upside down. Drive your friends away. Drive your family away. Leave you naked and bleeding. Metaphorically, if not sometimes literally. And here's someone, Jesus has turned their life around. And it's like Mark is in the wings going, look, that's what it's going to be like when God is king again. All evil pushed out, people restored to who they were meant to be. That's what it's going to be like when God is king again. Then Mark tells us this other story. He starts telling us a story of Jairus' daughter, but but then he interrupts that with this this story of this woman. This woman, uh, she's been tormented by an issue of blood. It's it's an extremely private uh, disease. But it has enormously public consequences. Her flow of blood just can't be stopped. And so she is, by the Jewish law, in a constant state of uncleanness. It's not just that she's unclean. If people touch her or touch things that she's touched, they become unclean. They've got to go and be purified. And so she can't have fellowship anymore with her people. And she's, done, she's gone crazy. She, she's done everything she can to try and get herself better. She spent, Mark says, all her money on doctors trying to, trying to get well. And nothing's helped. She can't do anything. And, 
And in this crowd, as Jesus is moving out to deal with Jairus' sick daughter, this woman sees her chance. There's a crowd around. She's not really supposed to be with clean people, but there she is, and she reaches out and she just touches Jesus' garment. And all of a sudden, this disease that has just destroyed her life is gone. Everything has changed because Jesus is there. I think she wanted that to be the end of it. I think she just wanted to kind of have a stealth miracle, just reach in and and, and get healed and then back away. But, But as I said, this is a very private disease, but it's one that has enormously public consequences because of what it's done to her relationship with her people, with her community. And so Jesus stops. He stops his whole crowd. I mean, he's, he's surrounded by a mob. And this is kind of the rock star period of Jesus' ministry. He's surrounded by a mob of people. He says, who touched me? It's like, everybody? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Who do you? No, no, somebody touched, touched me. And, and it's like the crowd parts, and there's this woman. She's used to being rejected. She's used to being shooed away. And Jesus says, you, your faith. Your faith. Your faith in God has changed your life. Has changed your life. And, and again, Mark is right there in the wings saying, see, that's what it's going to be like when God is king again. Jesus is coming To bring the kingdom. That's what it's going to be like. No more isolation. No more being separated from others. No more disease tearing our lives apart. That's what it's going to be like when God is king again. Then we have the story that was interrupted. It starts with Jairus. This this really important man in Capernaum, we think it's Capernaum, uh, comes and says, you know, my daughter is dying. She's so sick. Please, please, please have mercy, Jesus. And Jesus is on His way, this pressing crowd all around Him as He goes to Jairus' house. And, and, and just as He's finished healing this woman, the servant comes up and says, nah, don't, don't bother the Master anymore. Your daughter's died. There's no more hope. There was hope when she was just desperately sick, but, but there's no more hope now. She's dead. And Jesus ignores that and goes on to the house. There are already people there in the, in the throes of grief. They are weeping. They are wailing. They are crying. Jesus says, don't cry. Don't cry. This is just sleep. But he, doesn't, he doesn't think she's sleeping. He knows she's dead. Everybody knows she's dead. They know she's dead. And they think he's kind of crazy. What can you do? Maybe you could have done something while she was still alive, while she was still breathing, but she's gone. He shoes them out. He keeps his, his three guys with him, his three special apostles, Peter, James, and John. And, and he says something to her. He says... Talitha Kumi, it's recorded for us in Aramaic. It means little girl. Get up. I love that. Get up. John chapter 5, different gospel, different style of writing. John chapter 5 says, There will come a day 
when the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Son of Man, will call everyone out of their graves. I wonder if he'll speak Aramaic when he does that. You think when you're lying in your grave for 10 years or 10,000 years, however long it takes before Jesus comes back, you'll hear, Kumi. And that's what will call you from you. His voice will be the voice you hear. That's what we know for sure. And so grief, anguish, everything that death does to us, everything that death does to our families. As we don't even know what to feel when death comes to those that we love. We don't know what to think. We don't know how to act. We don't know. And Jesus reverses that. I think Mark is saying that's what it's going to be like when God is king. No more death. When God is king, there will be no more people controlled by evil like that man in the territory of Gadara. There will be no more disease like that woman with the issue of blood. And there will be no more death like Jairus' daughter. When God is king, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the big question now is, are you getting ready for God to be king? That's what Jesus says. Listen to the gospel. The time is near. The kingdom is at hand. Believe the good news. Believe the gospel. God is coming back to be king. Actually, the question that is the crucial question for every human being on the planet is are you getting ready for God to be king? It's a crucial question for you. Are you getting ready for God to be king? It's actually one of the ways for you to diagnose your own spiritual development. There's a part of your heart right now when I say, are you getting ready for God to be king? You're already, you're already there. I said, oh, please let it happen right now. I don't, could we like have it before the sermon ends so that I wouldn't have to listen to the end of the sermon? It would be awesome. See, amen. I got an amen on that one. I, I know who you are. Uh, yeah, there's a part of your heart that really wants this because there's no more death. There's no more crying. There's no more disease. There's no more evil. God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. But every one of us, if we're honest, will also admit there's another part of our heart that is still hard against that. There's a part of our heart sometimes that's more like the demons. Could you wait a little longer? Have you come to torment us before the time? I mean, I know that eventually I've got to give in to you, God, but could I just could I play a little longer with my toys down here? Are you getting ready for God to be king? It's coming. That's what Jesus came to begin. That's what we are here to continue. God coming to be king. 
I want to give you an exercise to perform this week. I want you to do this. I'm going to do it. I want you to do it too. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you to say these words. God, come be king of my day. I don't have the power. You don't have the power to make God king yet of the entire world. But here's what you can do. God, come be king of my day. When you see a significant person in your life, whoever that is, wife, husband, daughter, father, mother, anybody that is close and significant to you, it's a relationship God has actually put in your life for you to tend to, to, for you to manage. When you see that person, I want you to say in your head, if you say it out loud, they're going to think you're weird. But if you say it in your head, God be king of this relationship. When you sit down to watch TV tomorrow night, before your fingers touch the remote, I want you to say, God, be king of my entertainment. When you sit down to your computer, I want you to say, God, be king of my computer. Be king of my Facebook comments. Be king of my Twitter account. Be king of everything that my eyes... God, we don't have the power. We're waiting for You to bring that about. We don't have the power to make You king of the entire world. But God, be king of what we do have control over. Because the promise that we studied last week is still exactly true. Those who are faithful in a little will receive more. Are you getting ready for God to be king? If you need to respond to the invitation of God that He gave through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago and still continues to give, to hear the good news, to believe the good news, to get your life ready so that God's kingdom can rule throughout the universe on earth as it is in heaven. If you need prayers, if you need help, if you need to talk to one of us privately perhaps, or if you are ready today to be baptized, to wash evil out of your life, to allow God to give you a new life with a new spirit so that you can begin to walk in a new way. If, if you want to make that step today, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.